the good life, early retirement, watch all the sports you can stand, eat well, sit on the sofa and just chill. Economist Harry Dent says not so fast. He says, personally, I don't believe humans are designed to retire and do nothing. And we don't grow or evolve much in such times of ease. <laughs> It's Malcolm all out here. And boy, I got to tell you, I agree with Harry Dent on that one. Uh, it is so true. I've seen so many people and friends and people I know. And, you know, they get to this retirement point where somehow they think life is going to be, you know, like easy. It's 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 like a death trap. I mean, your mind goes numb. Uh, anyways, we talk about that all the time. There's a lot of lot of factors into retirement. I, I'm never going to retire. You're going to see me as some old bastard giving you a hard time, you see, because I'm not going to retire. I'm going to call you up, Harry, when I'm 90, Harry. And say, Harry, Harry, what's that market doing? <laughs> hey, welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Good. Uh, is Harry Dent's with his um, economic forecaster, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, it's got a new book out, and I have read it, and I think it's your best one yet, Harry. Yeah, I do too. I, our editor really worked hard on this to make it easy to read and to chop it up into small kind of uh, shorter chapters that are easy to get bite by bite. So, yeah, I, 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 I agree with It's you. excellent, man. It's, a, it's an excellent book. It's called The Sale of a Lifetime, How the Great Bubble Burst of 2017 Can Make You Rich. Now, again, Harry, as you know, ed is editor of the free newsletter Economy and Markets. And we'll talk more about all this as we progress here on the show today. HarryDent.com. You'll always find out more there. So there is a lot to unwrap here, not only in this book, but in the stock market. Since we talked last, Harry, uh, we're going to have a new president. We've had a lot of things change. Talk. Just talk. Because that's what we do here, friends. Malcolm Out Loud Talk. Welcome to the show. We've reached a point where the stock market no longer has any logical connection to reality, making it an extremely dangerous beast. Now, we're all seeing the stock market, what's happened through the election cycle now on this side of the election. But as you look back historically at what's happened, Harry, and you kind of point out some things in the book here. Tell me again. Let's explain to folks the core challenge we're speaking about when we talk about the, the volatility of the stock market right now. Well, you know, the, the recovery that stock markets had since March of 2009 has been entirely artificial. It has not been driven by expansion in demographics like the boom up through 2007 or advancements in Internet and technology like uh, that cycle into 2010 or even the expansion of Europe that peaked in 2011. It's been driven by quantitative easing. Governments set short-term rates at zero in interest rates, they, and they pushed down long-term rates by taking money out of thin air, 13 trillion approximately globally, in buying their own bonds and mortgage securities and even stocks in some places like Japan to basically push down long-term yields to zero. And now in, in much of Europe and Japan and even parts of the U.S., you have negative interest rates. And, and negative interest rates are starting to backfire. That's one reason that stocks are, are going to have a hard time going up from here. But, but what happens when money is free? It means, I mean, consumers are getting a free lunch. Their mortgages are much lower. Their car loans are lower because interest rates and, and, and money are pushed down to zero and free. But more important, corporations, are, most of their gains we've seen in earnings have come from buying back their own shares, not expanding their company so much or their jobs or investing in the future, 
they're just borrowing money cheap and buying back their own shares to make you know fewer shares and higher earnings per share. They're also financing all types of mergers and acquisitions that just rearrange the pie and don't grow the pie. So this is totally artificial. But, of course, the stock markets love free money. But, but when you have free money, and this is the reason that you do have interest rates and fair interest rates, there has to be a hurdle for investment to force companies to make productive investments to be able to pay back those loans. When money, the cheaper money gets, the lower that bar comes, and it means companies and, and people in our economy are not making productive investments. They're just speculating. And, and buying your own stock is like speculating in your own stocks. And, and banks and financial institutions that are no longer lending like they used to because they lost so much money and everybody borrowed too much, now they're using money, cheap money, to speculate in bonds and stocks and stuff. So we have bubbles everywhere. And, and people keep saying, well, you know, this quantitative easing is not a bad thing. I mean, as long as we don't get much inflation, too much inflation. I said, no, that's not the problem. The problem is quantitative easing, free money creates bubbles in financial assets and even more debt of anything and excess capacity, which all has to be deleveraged when we hit the next crisis, which I am convinced is coming in 2017. This is going to start to hit. It's going to take a number of years. And I think stocks are probably in their final kind of jubilee rally over, oh, Trump was supposed to wreck the economy. Now, all of a sudden, he's Jesus walking on water. You know, and, and this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Right, right. And that's exactly what's happened now. Overnight, the election, the market was acting uh, with a lot of volatility, and then uh, it was uh, plummeting. And then all of a sudden, as you say, there was this major turnaround, like 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 it was, like Jesus was walking on water. It's exactly what it is. Harry, we talked earlier this year, and you pointed out that we were in for a ride. You said to me, no matter who wins this election, Malcolm, it doesn't matter. You told all of our listeners that, you know, you just, you again, you watch all the bubbles. You've been watching these cycles. You're a big, big guy on cycles. Again, you're read your books, you get an idea of what you're talking about here. But you say this, you pointed out here in uh, chapter 13 in the book here, and you talk about the Great Depression of 2016 to 2022. And you start by saying here, and this is interesting to me, for people to wrap their arms around this, you say, we have seven years of unprecedented government stimulus and money creation to thank for stretching this bubble beyond imagination and making the burst more painful than anything we've ever experienced. Harry, that scares the hell out of me. History is crystal clear on this. Debt bubbles, which only occur about once in a lifetime, the last one was in the early 1900s into 1929 peak. Debt bubbles create overexpansion of the economy, consumers and business, and worse than that, they create bubbles in financial assets. The more debt there is, the more money is chasing um, all these financial assets, and so they get overvalued, and then you have to work off that debt and restructure it. The, the, the Great Depression was simple. Simply a big debt detox and a big bubble detox. You're getting rid of all this excess stuff, which actually becomes a burden. Housing is so expensive in, in, in a lot of cities now that young people can't afford it. And, and the only people that can are the people who bought it a long time ago and they've made un, you know, undeserved gains. Stocks are so high that even 
without my forecast for declining demographics and cycles and all these sort of things, if you just bought stocks at any time in history, at the valuations they are today, the best models say you would lose 2% a year for the next decade. You'd lose 20 to 30%. That's without all the bad demographic trends and geopolitical trends and things that my cycles clearly, clearly see. And, and I've spent 30 years, Malcolm, going from demographics to geopolitical to technology and to boom-bust cycles. I've identified four cycles that matter. There's zillions of cycles. And a lot of people that do study cycles get so involved in them that they end up getting confused. I'm, I'm into finding these cycles, long and intermediate term that call turning points in the economy and that matter, not every possible cycle. Right, right. And, and all and, four and, of these cycles point down at the same time into early 2020. So the next three, three and a half years right. is the most dangerous time I've seen in, in, in my lifetime. And, and those four cycles, we're going to talk about those a little bit later here. Uh, I mean, I flagged those four cycles. I'm very aware of what you're saying. And it, it's so impressive the way you've identified all these cycles. And you've done it from data and the numbers, which clearly don't lie because there's history here. In order to predict the future, you've got to look at the history. Yeah. And I've always said that. But you say that in a very big way here. You know, you go on to say here, central banks around the world print in $10 trillion plus to offset the crisis and keep the banks from failing like they did in the early 1930s. And it's not an exception. It's a delay. Over the last 16 years, we have witnessed the creation of the greatest and most global bubble in modern history. Hundreds of trillions of dollars of debt are clogging up the world's veins. Sooner rather than later, it will lead to a massive global heart attack. Now, what I'm going to say here, Harry, on this, I think what you're saying in a nutshell, and for folks to pay attention and listen to what we're talking about right now here this moment, and I'm going to tell you what I see in that. That means there's a lot of people who aren't hearing this show, who aren't hearing your message, don't know about your book, that, you know, have millions and millions of dollars that are going to get caught with their shorts down here. So I think there's a lot of millionaires right now, potentially yep. billionaires right now, that are going to be a lot less wealthier very shortly, yet... If people pay attention and what you spell out in this book and what you talk about, for those who are on top of it, there will be a new round of millionaires and a new round of wealth generated that for those people who are really keen on this. I mean, is that the underlying message here? Yeah, you know, it, it's everybody complains about the top 0.1 or 1 or 10% that have made most of the gains, and they have, just like they did in the roaring 20s boom and bubble. They're the ones that own all these financial assets, and they're the ones that are going to get hit the hardest. Homer Simpson already got clocked in the last recession when homes got killed and, and, and people got kicked out of their homes and their credit um, destroyed and all that sort of stuff. But the average person doesn't have a lot of stocks. They mainly have their home and maybe a small retirement place. It is the wealthy that own all these, you know, $100 million apartments in Manhattan and all this crazy stuff and, and yachts and stuff and, and have huge uh, real estate and stock portfolios. These are the people that are going to see the biggest reset because they got a lot of that wealth undeservedly. This has been, I mean, the, the reason people don't see bubbles is, is they don't want to see them because you're getting something for nothing. When stocks are going up 20% a year instead of the normal 7 to 10 and real estate's going up 10 to 
to 15% a year instead of the normal inflation rate of maybe 3 to 5%, you're getting something for nothing. This is serious stuff. And, and you're right, Malcolm, about most people aren't going to get this. Every Warren Buffett says everything's okay. The politicians say this is okay. You know, the Wall Street analysts say every this is okay. Economists say it's okay. It is not okay if you look at history. This is a once-in-a-lifetime bubble. It's a much greater bubble than we saw in the Roaring Twenties or any time I can find in history. Um, and when it crashes, it's going to be hard, fast, and it's going to be devastating. People are going to lose wealth overnight. And the people like Joseph Kennedy that just got out of the way in late 29 when his shoeshine boys were telling him which stocks to buy and then rebought, you know, when stocks were down 89% three years later, they made fortunes overnight. So you're right. There's a lot of wealth going to be lost overall. But for a narrow group of people who are awake, and all you have to do is be awake to see a bubble. Bubbles are 100% obvious, as we point out in this book, and not blind. There's going to be a small percentage of people that are going to make extreme wealth overnight, including the businesses that either sell at the top here or, even better, hunker down and be one of the last businesses standing in your industry and inherit more market share than you could ever dream of, which will pay off for decades. Ask General Electric and General Motors. Those were two of the great examples of companies that were, you know, up and coming in their time in new industries but ended up dominating because they survived while their competitors fell in the first few years of the 1930s. So, so there's huge opportunity. But but for most people, they're going to get blindsided worse than 2008 and 9. And, and I, I hate that because, you know, I can only get out so much because, you know, stockbrokers used to tout me all the time. Now, they, they, they wouldn't bring me up if, if their life depended on it. But right. this is when people need to listen to a contrarian. Well, that's what I got out of your book as I read through the whole thing. And that you, you point out what I think is pretty obvious, which I, I don't mean that to belittle what you've done and said. I mean, you, you've made it sound simple with the because of the way you've looked at all the research and the data and the way you uh, analyze it I was very impressed with that read it, it makes you know there are a few moments in the book Harry where I, it was like an aha moment I said oh man I get it I see what's happened there and some of your principles some of the cycles you talk about uh, some of the other principles you say like for instance in chapter five in uh, uh, which is uh, actually in page 50 of the book it's it's you call it guidance principle number seven okay and you lay out 12 guidance principles on bubbles I find this very fascinating, and I, I, I look to this as a big piece of your life's work, Harry, these uh, principles you had, which you sort of updated in this book, right? Yeah, yeah, and this book really, I mean, I, I give all my past stuff on demographics and, and key cycles, yeah, but cool. this book really is about bubbles. What bubbles look like, how do you recognize a bubble, and, and, and why bubbles are so dangerous when they burst and, and people underestimate them. I mean, I, I hate the word black swan, because every time something like a big crash happens, like the tech wreck or or the Nikkei in the early 90s or, or the roaring 20s burst in the, in the Great Depression, people act like, oh, nobody could have seen that coming. It was a black swan. This is totally 100% wrong. These things are totally seeable. It is very straightforward, and history is crystal clear on this. Nobody looks at history, but again, also, people are so high in the bubble, getting something for nothing, that they don't want it to end, so they just basically tune out and, and act like it's not happening. And that's extremely dangerous. And I did say to you before, and I would, and I say this today, I don't care who gets elected. 
we're going to have this crisis because they've already stretched this rubber band so far that it's going to pop as soon as something goes wrong. And I don't think it's going to be the U.S. this time. I think Italy yeah. is, is the next big trigger. And after that, the, the, the elephant in the room, China, who's got a bubble that makes everybody else's look like nothing. Right. So, so there's plenty of things going to take this down. And Trump can't control China or Italy's default. Well, no, he's talked about it a lot. He's talked about China a lot and, and, and what they've done and overvaluing the overvaluation. Well, he's going to help burst the bubble. If, if he puts huge tariffs on China, it's already slowing down right. more than they admit. It's just going to accelerate their decline. And when their real estate bubble bursts, I tell you, that's going to be a thud hurt around the world. Hey, Harry, can you imagine being a fly on the wall the night of the election in China when they knew that Trump was winning? They had to just they had to just pass out. You think? Right, and Mexico too. Mexico, Mexico too. The peso didn't like it. <laughs> no, the peso. I seen that plummeted. Everything was crazy around the world. But I mean, they had to just like flip out that night when it was clear, like around three in the morning Eastern time, when it was uh, pretty clear that he was going to be the next president. Uh, did you? You know, I know we talked before that, sometime before that. But uh, and you, and you really weren't sure. I mean, but you did say to me, you know, no matter who got in there. So if if everything is correct in what we're saying here, Harry, in these next few years. Then it sounds to me like that no matter what, I, I, I kind of think then if this is pretty accurate, then Donald Trump may end up being just a one term president. No. Well, if you're looking to make a little more room in your home or your office or you're looking just to get a little more organized, I want to give you a solution today. Closetsbydesign.com. I've used them in past years. They do tremendous work. They build closets out, food pantries, garage, you know, shelving in the garages. Uh, they do flooring, wall beds, organizers, all kinds of things. Check them out, folks. Closetsbydesign.com. If this is pretty accurate, then Donald Trump may end up being just a one-term president, no? Yeah, no, I, I, well, I, I say two things, and I, I don't say this lightly. If somebody's going to get shot or assassinated or something weird, it's going to be him, and it could happen in his first year. And, and yes, I, I, Reagan came in and had two bad years of very bad demographic trends and, 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 and a, an inflation bubble bursting and causing um, ramifications. We, that, we had the worst recession since the Great Depression into late 82. But the second two years of his term were glorious because we had the baby boom kicking in. And, and if we'd have had our indicators back then, we could have predicted that turnaround. Well, Trump doesn't have that. The baby boomers continue to point down in demographics and spending into 2020 to 22 before a smaller generation starts to turn us back up again. But in an era where globalization is out, I'm telling you, globalization has peaked just like it did at World War One and collapse for three, 33 years into the end of World War II, including the Great Depression, globalization is peaking around the world. Everybody's saying, the working class parties around the world are saying, hey, this is not working for us anymore. We want to retreat from globalization. Well, that hurts global growth. There's no question about it. It may seem to be a good thing for individual countries, but everybody loses when this happens because there's less and less trade and there's a lot of jobs hooked, hooked 
hooked up to exports in countries. So, so we've got uh, these trends are so strong that 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 Trump is not going to see that sort of fundamental turnaround while he's in office. So yes, I would say he's going to be a one-term president. And if Hillary had gotten in, she'd have been much worse. The difference between Hillary and Donald is that Hillary would have gotten blamed for this crisis. Donald's not going to get blamed for it. He's warned it's a bubble. He's warned that, that the economy's in, in bad shape. She says it's okay, and we're doing the right things. But he, you're still not going to get reelected if the economy's still weak when, when, when it's time for reelection. That, that just rarely happens. So, yes, I think he'll be a well, one-term president. But, but, uh, but Hillary, I tell you, yeah. Hillary's the lucky one. She's going to thank her lucky stars. Wow. And I thought of that, actually. You know, that coming to election night, what you just said, I, I kind of was in the same uh, thought process you were. You know, you mentioned something um, just a moment ago in an interesting way. And I, and I want to approach this a little delicately here, but I do want to touch on it because you, you mentioned a moment that, you know, possibly his life would be at risk, maybe. And you, you said you wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, you say that, Harry. And I have to tell you, in full full confession, everybody. And here, by the way, Ray, Reagan got shot. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But it, I, I just want to, you know, tell folks and confess to folks here, listeners, so they know that, uh, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing, Harry. I, I think that uh, they're going to have to have super extraordinary security around this man. I knew yeah. when he won this election. I tell you right now, I really felt, Harry, that his life was at risk for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. There's, I mean, there's a lot of psychological reasons here why I say that's probably why you say that too Harry but I think that his life is certainly um, uh, you know at risk here his family he's taken on a major responsibility here with all of this you know the other thing Harry I want to point out I'm concerned with you know if you spell what we're talking about right now with um the Trump presidency, and you consider what you've spelled out here with this, uh, you know, the ranks of a depression that is lurking around here. And then, you know, you add in the uh, the other factor of, uh, you know, of terrorism. And I don't say that lightly either, but, you know, if you look at our history again, you like cycles, Harry, and you like history. Well, if you look at history again, every time we have a new administration, we're at most risk as we're changing to the new presidency in those first few months of the new presidency, you know? Because yep. we're more unraveled, things are uncertain, and the terrorists know that. The bad guys know that, and they tend to strike yeah. in some it's way. It's a great there. time for them to strike, exactly. It is. The it other is. thing is, one of our cycles is a geopolitical cycle <laughs> that is positive for 17 to 18 years, like 83 to 2000, and then it's adverse from 2001 through 2019. So we still have three more years of what already has been clearly a very challenging geopolitical environment. So, so we're going to see more of this sort of stuff. So, so, yes, the next president's also going to have to deal with, with continued rising terrorism. Of course they want to. Uh, they, they love that Trump got elected, you know. You, you think and, so? And, and they're, and they're going to want to terrorize him. So you, you love the fact that they, you, you really believe they like the fact he got elected, huh? Yeah. Even though, oh, you, my even gosh, though, ISIS, ISIS wanted this. And, and guess who else likes it? Putin. Yeah. I mean, it's not good when you got ISIS and Putin rooting for you. But, but wait a minute now. Let me just take a second on that point, because I don't really necessarily agree with you on that point. Um, that I would have thought they really wanted Hillary Clinton in there more because she was going to she's a go along, get along. If you look at what she's done in her uh, position as secretary of state through the Obama administration, they basically have been able to walk all over that platform and do whatever they want to do. I think Trump is going to be a lot tougher in that way. So why would they want him in there, Harry? 
Because they, they're in the recruitment business. They recruit crazy people to risk their life and do crazy things for them. And when you got a controversial, fascist-looking guy like Trump, that, that is better for their recruitment. And when he's going to say, I'm going to destroy this and I'm going to do this and that, that is they, – they live on recruitment, Malcolm. That, I that's see. Their I see. Interesting perspective. Okay, so you're, you're coming back to that. Okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah, interesting perspective, Harry. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm fascinated to uh, the point here I think just I think everyone I need you to just prepare yourself please and I need you to embrace yourself because what Harry's spelling out here I mean, this is this is one of the best interviews I've had with Harry and I've been talking to him for uh, quite a bit the last decade really uh, we've done a lot of, a lot of shows a lot of interviews over the years and um, I knew when this book when I read this book uh, you know this past couple of weeks I thought uh, boy Harry's really coming to his own I mean this book is the best book he's ever put out and um, it, it's interesting because again and you follow the cycles and he talks about the cycles a lot that really is the whole sense of this thing and when you follow history you can really predict the future in a very very interesting way you know harry as i got through the book and i got reading toward more of the end you know what came to my mind i, I really thought this i thought you know because you spell out so much in here in a very fascinating way and i thought we got to get this book and we got to get Harry over to the Trump administration. He's got to know about what Harry's doing here. He's got to know about this book. He's got to know about Harry. And I thought for a minute, somehow we, we've got to get you involved in this next go around in the administration. What do you think of that? Well, I, uh, there, there have been a couple of people politically connected that I know that have have uh, mentioned my work and, and given him his book. And, and after that, he started talking about the bubble and why he's out of stocks and stuff. So I, I think he is aware of it. He's just going with people like Larry Kudlow and Stephen Moore and some people that are, you know, that are far right kind of economists, but, but a little more known and stuff. So, I mean, you know, one of these days that may happen, especially if things unfold, like I say. But boy, if things unfold, like I say, he's going to be in trouble quick. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I hear you with that. Um, I agree with you uh, with Bush and Greenspan and all of that. I mean, I've seen that coming. And in, in fact, that was the primary reason that Obama did get elected uh, with yeah. this whole message of change and, and the hope that he put out there uh, for folks. But it was a mess already. There's no question. I think the Bush administration will go down as one of the worst administrations we've had. Uh, again, I haven't I haven't been happy with an administration or a president really since for me, for personally, for me, I, I've not been happy since Ronald Reagan. I mean, we, I just think right. we've had one disaster after the next, Harry Dent, you know? I well, mean, I've warned people in the great boom ahead, yeah. I, before Clinton walked into office, right. we predicted how strong that boom would be. We predicted inflation would fall a lot, and we predicted the budget would be balanced by 1998. So from my point of view, he didn't create that. He forever will say, I created the 1990s and balanced the budget and all this <laughs> stuff. No, I'm, you know, I, I'm not saying he did anything wrong, but he wasn't a great president from my view either. Right. Well, we know that. He just was fortunate, Harry. He was fortunate. Yeah, he, he was, was fortunate. And his wife, and Hillary was unfortunate. He walked into the best economy right. in U.S. history of exactly. the 90s, and she was walking into the worst if she had won. I mean, again, I still think she's going to look back in a couple of years and say, boy, good thing I missed by, by a couple percent, you know? Well, <laughs> and again, so, so let's, before we turn to more of these other things I want to talk about, which I, I do want to discuss the aftershock, how to get rich during the aftershock, which you point out really, really cool in uh, in part um, uh, five of this thing here in the book here. And I want to talk about some of the emerging countries that will also lead the next global boom, which you talk about that as well, and the key cycles that are involved here. But before we do, 
So, all right, let's just talk to me a moment. Why we're on Trump a moment in the election. I just want to come by that a moment. And I want to say this. With everything you've seen about the cycles, everything you talk about in the book, we know what Donald Trump's position. You've already said, okay, in some ways, his program is going to you know, be a, a, a little better, a little, little nicer, a little easier. We have, maybe we have a shot. Maybe it's a long shot. I don't, I don't know. Okay. You're saying that, that, you know, so it's a long shot, Malcolm, but yeah, he's going to do some things that may help us out a little more. All right. But so if we, if we're to put our optimistic hat on Harry and for folks that are listening that, and we're going to talk more later again about that aftershock. And I want to talk about that yet, but talk to me about what if things went right? What would that look like? Now, what I'm speaking of with Donald Trump now, he's talking about business regulations. He's aware of all these things that we're discussing, things you and I talked about, you know, five, six, eight years ago, Harry. He's aware of that. So what what could go right for him? He comes in, he makes the announcements. He says, OK, this is the condition we're in. What could he do right now? And, and I know you're probably going to say the damage is so bad, Malcolm, that we've got to bleed before we can fix it. Right. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, anything he does will only stimulate this kind of detox and debt and bubbles that have to happen. Yes. Yes. I mean, China should have tariffs. When China cheats by by not paying pollution costs like we do and Europe even more so, Japan cheats by pushing down their currency relentlessly. And now China's doing the same thing. There should be a counter to that, not not to suppress foreign trade, but to say, hey, it's got to be fair. And none of these countries are fair. And he's right about that. But since China is so far over a ledge, they've created more debt in the last year than Europe, U.S., and the rest of the world combined. China has gone off the wagon, off the reservation, creating debt and building stuff for nobody. So you prick that bubble by saying, okay, we're going to put a tariff, a big tariff on, on, on our imports from you. And and it, and it causes them to slow down even more than they've already slowed down. Their exports have already slowed down dramatically, and that has killed commodity prices around the world. Well, this would just pop their bubble, and if China gets worse, then then, then their stock market is going to crash. Their economy is going to crash. They're going to have 250 million um, unregistered migrant workers trapped in cities with no jobs, and they've been producing stuff for nobody. And then their real estate bubble is going to collapse, and their real estate bubble is six times what ours was when it started to crash so so you're gonna you're gonna if you start to correct some of these imbalances this whole thing is about correcting imbalances and debt and bubbles and and trade and all this sort of stuff unfairness and 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 about correcting our our blindness to the fact that our life expectancies keep expanding but we keep retiring at age 63 to 65 that's insanity you can't do it that's why our entitlements have no chance of ever being paid we just haven't realized it yet i i, I show this in some of my books it, a 10 year old could calculate this it just is not possible with an aging society for fewer and fewer young people to pay more and more retirement benefits to baby boomers who are living 22 to 25 years in retirement instead of the expected 5 to 10 when all these things got created. So all of this stuff has to be restructured. It is going to be painful. The 30s was painful, more painful than the 70s crisis of inflation. Nothing more painful than a deflationary detox. It's like getting a severe flu. You know, you're just going to be caught 
coughing and puking and having fever and all this sort of stuff and sweating. It's like a junkie coming off drugs. It's exactly like that. It's not a little like it. It's exactly like it. So there's no easy way. You can't get, everybody's thinking, well, if we just keep supporting the system, keep printing money, we'll get back to escape velocity. No, you can't get to escape velocity. Japan's already proved this. Japan's been doing what we've been doing since 1997, you know, for 20 years almost now. And they've never, they're still at zero average growth, zero productivity, and zero inflation. And, and that zero inflation is only because of massive quantitative easing, three times the rate we ever did it, to offset the deflation that would have occurred otherwise. So so it's not, Japan's not turning around. And, and, and after 2020, their demographics get way worse again. And in the economy only looks like it's going to be bad globally until then. So, so that's the problem here, that there, there's not much you can do. The best thing governments can do is to help um, facilitate a more orderly debt restructuring. In other words, if they'd have come in in 2008, instead of just printing tons of money and giving it to the banks and not, not forcing banks to write down loans, which would have taken um, debt off the back of consumers and businesses if they'd have written down bad loans. Instead, they say, no, don't write them down, and we'll just keep giving you money, and now you can speculate and make money off free money, and you can survive, and you don't have to collapse. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't change the problem. We still have all these bad debts, and we still got customers and businesses and excessive debt. And, and so it's like going into the next boom when, when the demographics finally turn around again and having a 400-pound backpack on your back. You know, how, how fast can you walk or run with that? So, so we, we're going to have to do this. But government could say, okay, banks, you are going to write loans down to market. We're going to require you to, which we should have, and we'll give a limited amount of relief in proportion to the loans you write down for consumers and businesses. That would be a way, like a Chapter 11 restructuring, but up at the government macro level. This is what happens when a business gets in too much debt and, and, and their sales drop off or, or their, you know, their trends go against them. Instead of just putting on fire sales and letting the creditors take over and sell everything at $0.10 cents on the dollar to get a little money back, they have a reorganization and give the company time to, to sell off assets at better prices to cut costs and to renegotiate with creditors you know, and well, say, hey, on. how about 50 cents on the dollar? So the old theory that we all grew up with as kids that Simon and Garfunkel sang to us day after day was that, what was that, Harry? Bridge over troubled water doesn't exactly. exist. <laughs> doesn't exist. You don't get there from here. You don't, if you're really toxic and sick, let's say you know, yeah. you're a drug addict and, and you don't get through it without going through detox and detox is incredibly painful. There's no two ways and you can make it a little slower, a little less painful, but you got to go through it or you don't get to the other side. If you don't get the drugs out of your system, you'll continue to be addicted to them with no way to control it. Well, and that's what we're addicted to debt and we're addicted to bubbles. Right. Well, we're, we've it. been getting something for nothing for years and years and years. Well, that's it. A lot of this is, this is the stuff you told me about years ago. And quite frankly, this is the kind of stuff when I think we took our uh, our eye off the ball and we took, it up, we took our eye off the wheel, really. And what happened is we've 
just uh, sort of succumb to putting these politicians in office, Harry. They say all the right things to us. We know, like we know, they're lying to our face, Harry. They lie like hell to us. They get into office and they do most cases just the direct opposite. But the point is, we've allowed this to go on for far too long. I knew this. I knew we were in trouble ten years ago, and I yeah. knew I really did. I, ha- I had this bad feeling, and now when I see, you know, oh yeah, yeah, Bush didn't do a good job. We already pointed that out. But uh, what I would say, Obama has not done a good job. He he more than doubled the debt. He'll be over twenty trillion dollars when he leaves. He didn't do anything. Yeah, that's to right. We, we doubled the debt. Yes. Well, the government debt we doubled under Bush in eight years. We doubled it again yes. under Obama. And and I'm telling you, because the economy is going to go down so far, we're going to double it again in the next eight years unless we do some major restructuring and, and especially entitlements. These entitlements, even in a booming economy, we would have growing deficits for decades because we promised baby boomers more than they can possibly be paid to them on the backs of the next yep. generation. It's time to tighten your belt, kids. You all got to listen to this. Now it's time to tighten your belts. Well, listen, we're going to talk about these four key cycles. This is fascinating stuff. Again, and I, I can't tell you enough about this book, uh, The Sale of a Lifetime. It was a hell of a read. And I got to tell you, it's one of those books. And you know, every so often you get a book in your hands that like you can just like read it and sit down and you don't kind of let it down. That's kind of what happened here. And I'm a busy guy. I don't get a chance to read a lot of these books. I'm so damn busy. But I picked up your book and I read it. And I'll tell you what, it, it, it the, the subject matter was a little painful at times. But the read itself was a breeze. It, it, it was like I got through this thing and I got to the conclusion and the aftershock. And I said, and I was waiting for that. To say, okay, Harry, you got to leave us with some hope now. Don't don't just drop me through the floor here, and and, and you gotta not you gotta you gotta give me some hope here, and he actually did that, and he did it this way here. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. Well, it's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. You'll find a whole host of shows and a lineup of great content back at AmericaOutloud.com. TruthPR.com. If you're looking for some truth in the media, you're looking to maybe have some press releases or create some publicity in your life, this would be the firm to use. Jackie Jones is the proprietor there. TruthPR.com. Find out a whole lot more there, friends. Now, let's get back to the show. The, the U.S. came roaring out of the Great Depression in the late 1930s to become the greatest country and world leader. Why? Because what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That, that's why life has adversity. Everybody wants to kind of just get better and, and, and life to be incremental and just step up to heaven. And it just doesn't happen that way without challenge. I mean, life is nurture and challenge, those two opposites, men and women, you could say, in a lot of ways. Same kind of principles. And you have to have the challenge as well as the nurturing because people get over-nurtured. They don't grow. Challenge makes you learn. Challenge makes you change and evolve in ways that people have a very easy life. That's why all these trust babies, and and I married one, frankly, first time around, none of them ever do anything in life, and they always end up on drugs or something because they they have no self-esteem, and they haven't ever had to work for anything. They never even had to make their damn bed, for crying out loud. And and so they they don't grow, and they don't have the ability to deal with life and change. And, and, And so this is required. We have been 
over-nurtured, over-stimulated, given free lunch in every way possible since the early 80s, you know, and, and even back farther in some ways. But, I mean, debt's been growing at 2.56 times GDP since 1983. That's a free lunch. Debt is like a drug. You're, you're borrowing from the future to get more today. And like you say, my biggest gripe about politicians is they understand it's much easier to borrow money today to give people free goodies that they don't deserve and worry about somebody else having to pay off the debt 10 or 20 years from now. Well, That's what yeah. they do all the time. Yeah. It's immediate gratification because you see politicians. And the Republicans do it yeah. as much as the oh, Democrats. Of course they're they supposed do. to be fiscally responsible. But like you say, yeah. George Bush created more debt because he doubled the private debt and the government debt. Obama only doubled the, 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 the government debt. He, he took debt from 20 to $40 trillion in the economy when you look at private and government. I mean, he created more debt than, than the country did from its inception in eight years. And he's a Republican, damn it. Yeah, that's right. You know? That's right. No, you're 100% right. Uh, well, it's a fallacy. It's a total fallacy. Uh, that's, that's when I lost a lot of respect for the Republican Party, quite frankly, uh, for a lot of reasons. And that's, that's one of them right there. However, you talk about four key cycles in Chapter 9, and it is really fascinating. Your life's work looking at these cycles is is pretty incredible. But you, you go out to say here that the four key cycles that we really need to pay attention to that currently make up the, uh, the, the hierarchy, you say here, uh, in order of your discovery, uh, and I want you to just touch on these for a moment here. You talk about the 39-year generational spending wave. Uh, tell us real fast what that is. Yeah, I mean, that was my first breakthrough in my research in the 80s that I found that, you know, new generations come along, they enter the workforce on average at age 20, and they peak in spending at age 46. Again, on average, some people later, some people earlier, especially affluent people later. So so you just move forward the birth index, 46 years, and of course, I have to adjust for immigration where that's important, like in the United States. You can see when the economy is going to boom and bust almost five decades in advance. In other words, that 46-year lag on the baby boom birth index would have told you 1983 to 2007 was going to be the greatest boom in history because of the size of that generation. And from 2008 to 2022, everything was going to slow down just like it did from 68 to 82 with the Bob Hope generation and just like it did from 1930 to 1942 for the Henry Ford generation before that. So that's a predictable cycle in very powerful. It was that cycle that allowed me to simultaneously, in 1988 and 89, before it happened, say that the Japanese were going to totally collapse in the 1990s for 12 to 14 years, while the U.S. and Europe were going to have their greatest boom in history. That was just demographics. Now, starting in the early 2000s, I had to add a second cycle. I call it the geopolitical cycle. The second boom from 2002 to 2007, I predicted right down to October, it's starting again, but I thought it was going to be much stronger, like the bubble before it, the tech bubble, because all the demographic and technology trends were still going full force, and it wasn't, and I realized something changed, and it was 9-11, and ever since 9-11, terrorist wars, civil wars, police brutality, you, you just name it, and nothing's gone right in the world since then, and almost nothing went wrong from 1983 to 2000, so I, so I found that cycle, 17 to 18 years positive, 17 to 18 years negative every 35 years. That cycle turned down in 2001 and does not turn up until 2020. So we got three, three and a half more years of increasing terrorism and all this sort of stuff. Right. Now, the third long-term cycle, and this one took me the longest to get. I only got this, I don't know, about two or three years ago. 
innovation. I always tied it to young people and generations, but it never quite hit right. But of course, I kept researching, and then I finally got it. I saw enough graphs. Steamships peaked in 1875 and fell off a cliff when railroads came. Railroads then peaked in 1920, fell off a cliff when, when trucks and cars and buses came along. And then, of course, um, automobiles peaked in 1965. Everybody had them by then. Everybody was in the suburbs, which were empowered by automobiles. And then, of course, the Internet and, and personal computing was the next big technology thing. And guess what? That peaked in 2010. Moore's Law is receding after decades and decades. We're now down to the growth in the Internet is social media. And, hey, it's fun stuff. It's entertaining, but it is not life-changing. It is not the productivity tool that Google was and email and things like that. Those things changed my business. I'm probably three times more productive in my research and communications because of technology. Facebook does almost nothing for me. It's great entertainment for my wife. I call it dancing dogs and cats. So the technology cycle peaked in 2010, and then I got one final cycle, which was my biggest breakthrough recently, about three, four years ago, sunspot cycles. But the economy's always had a major, and you look back in history, a major stock correction or recession every 10 years. Early 60s, early 70s, early 80s, early 90s, early 2000s, and then it was supposed to happen again 2010 to 12. And I bet a book on that. Well, I was wrong. We didn't get the big crisis, we thought. Sunspot cycles are what behind this decennial cycle, 10-year cycle, and they're not 10 years. They're average 10 years. They're anywhere from 8 to 13 and fortunately for me, when I discovered the great correlation between recessions and stock corrections, back to the mid-1800s, 88% correlation, scientists do know how to project these cycles. And, they are, and, 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 and the latest one peaked in early 2014 and is not projected to turn around until early 2020. All, the point, Malcolm, all four of these cycles that I found to be the most important all point down together into early 2020, and then the geopolitical cycle starts to turn up, and then two years later, the demographic cycles, generation turn up, and, and, and oh, the, the sunspot cycle would turn up in early 2020, approximately two, and we'll know better as we get closer, but the one cycle that doesn't turn up until 2032 would be that technology cycle, and I'm predicting on, a, on another 45-year explosion mainstream that that's when biotech and nanotech and some breakthrough technologies that are only in niche market now will advance our lifetimes to live. We'll be living to 100 to 120 shortly after that and in decades after that. And that would change the, demog the negative demographic cycles that, that are slowing down the world until this happens. So, but, but the point is, the next three years, three and a half years, all four of these cycles pointing down, if we're going to have a great crash and crisis and debt delivered, this is when it's going to occur. So I'm telling people, look, this is once in a lifetime that this happens, once in a lifetime winter season over every 80 years in a, in a deflationary debt deleveraging economy. You need to be safe for the next three years. That's not too much to ask out of an 80-year cycle. Yeah, most of the time you can listen to your stockbroker and, oh, you know, if you're diversified and, 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 and all balanced and all this stuff, you can come out of most things. But you will not come out of this one because there's no diversification when all these bubbles burst. And that's what happened in 2008. Late 2008, commodities crashed, real estate crashed, stocks crashed. The only thing that did well was the U.S. dollar, which was supposed to crash and was the best house in a bad neighborhood, and the highest quality bonds. So you really have to get safe here for about three years. And then what the book does is say, look, 
all throughout this process, the bond bubble is starting to burst, as, as we predicted, just because it got overdone. Well, that could, that, that could be over within a year or less, and you could start buying high quality. You might be able to buy a 30-year Treasury bond at 35 to 4% several months from now. That's going to be a great long-term investment. That's the type of thing that did well in the 1930s deflationary economy. Then a couple of years after that, you're going to be able to start to buy emerging market stocks and, and, and aging sectors of U.S. stock market, and you're going to be able to buy junk bonds, which will be on their back by then. And then a few years after that, you're going to be able to buy real estate again. Real estate is the last thing to turn around. So, so over the next five to six years of this broader danger zone, the worst is, should happen in the next three years by my cycles, but, but there's going to be one investment opportunity where you're going to be able to buy something like real estate or stocks at the lowest prices you will see for a long time to come, and it's going to be a narrow window, and you've got to still have your assets. You've got to be liquid. You've got to have money to take advantage of it because nobody's going to lend you any in this environment, and you've got to be willing to move when different bubbles erase themselves, and the book looks at how bubbles burst twice as fast as they build, and they tend to go back to where the bubble started. So, so I'm pretty clear on how low stocks could go. You know, it's going to be somewhere between four and five thousand on the Dow. Okay, when it gets to there, you can start buying blue chip stocks again and hold them long term. But until then, don't touch them with a ten foot pole. And real estate takes twice as long. It's probably going to be 2022 or 23 before you can start buying most real estate in the U.S. again. And you know what? It'll never go up like it did in this boom because you're still going to have this overhang of baby boomers dying and dead people are sellers yeah. by the way uh, young people are buyers and, and, and we're going to see the net demand for housing just like it's already occurred in, in japan japan's got about 10 million empty homes in a country you know a third you know an economy a third of our size um homes just are not going to come back as strong as they used to. You, you're going to have to buy, if you're going to make money on real estate, you're going to have to buy stuff you can rent out a positive cash flow. You're not just going to sit on a house and watch it go up 10% a year. It's just not going to happen. Stocks yeah. will in the right countries. And, and people have been trained that way. So it's going yeah. to be a hell of an adjustment, uh, Harry, because, you know, a lot of people I know, they think real estate is like the best, coolest thing ever. And they put, I, and yep. I tell them all the time, you are, you are wasting your time and money. And uh, they keep doing it, though, because it, it, we were taught back then in that generation that that like real estate was the safe thing you know yeah, well, and they're not making any more of it. And, of course, there's always more people. Well, in a lot of places, there aren't more people. Japan is shrinking. Germany is shrinking. Many more countries around the world will be shrinking. We're not going to grow. Our, our, you know, these economists in, 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 in this country are projecting we're going to grow at 4% a year. We'd be lucky to grow 1% a year. Demographics are not going to be the same. And, and for housing, they're going to be actually be adverse until 2039. Wow. So it is a different reality. And we grew up with the first middle class after World War II who bought houses far more because they could afford them than people before. And then we had this giant baby boom. So in our lifetimes, yes, real estate's always gone up generally and only had brief minor corrections. That is over because the next generation is the first to be smaller. That changes real estate more than any industry. Real estate is my least, uh, the least interest I have unless you're buying it in India. Right, right. right. There you go. There you go. But, but you know, a lot of that explains uh, 
so much. I mean, you look at the growth we've had in the last few years, and it's been, uh, you know, anemic. I mean, we, we, we haven't, you know, people question. But I, I think that this is well, and, of, and that's been with three months. That's been with right. the super low interest <laughs> rates. Incredible. If interest rates were two to three points higher, which they should be in this environment with average inflation rates, we wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have grown this much. Well, yeah, we've been flatlined, totally flatlined. You also say in here, by the way, in uh, Chapter 13, emerging countries will lead the next global boom. Uh, and you spelled that out, and, and I found that fascinating. Uh, and maybe that's a point that people want to consider with, with investment in sort of thing, Harry, you know, because of what you say here. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's the emerging world that still has demographics outside of China, which already peaked in 2011 in their workforce, and they're going to shrink. Um, but but the best part of the world is India. That's the next China. Um, Southeast Asia. Now, there, there's strong productivity and work ethic there, but the whole rest of the emerging world, that's Latin America, Middle East, and Africa, all have high growth potential for decades, while the developed world is going to continue to slow as far as the eye can see. The only thing that's going to save us is, is breakthrough technologies that, that cause us to live to be 100 or 120 so that we work many decades longer and, and contribute much more to the economy um, because if, if things go the way they're going, urban people who are more affluent just have fewer and fewer kids and governments have tried all types of things to get them to have more and the only thing that works a little is to subsidize childcare because that's the biggest challenge for working women. How to get rich during the aftershock you talk about this uh, in uh, part uh, five of this book here. Uh, just give us a, uh, a quick view of your thoughts on that, uh, please, Harry, so people can know and they'll know to go get this book and really read more into it. Well, you know, I mean, like I said earlier, the, the options are greatly restricted because we're having bu- everything is bubbled up, even bonds. You know, bonds and stocks don't usually bubble together, but it's happening this time because all this stimulus and stuff and real estate is bubbled up again and all this sort of stuff. And, 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 and so so when everything's going to crash, you've got to get out of the way. That's what Joseph Kennedy did. He just got out and then he bought back when things were 10, 20 cents on the dollar. And, and how, how to get rich quicker than that when you can buy stuff at an 80, 90 percent discount how can you not greatly improve your wealth and your standard of living we're going to also see the cost of health care child care and education that, that are that are killing consumers go down when 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 all this demand pressure goes off and let those bubbles burst those are inflation bubbles so there's going to be a lot of opportunities um but but you have to be out of the way and but you also can think about your portfolio the opposite of way you saw it going up Okay, now things, most things are going to go down. What's your risk tolerance? If you really want to sleep at night, just be in the safest, shortest-term bonds, and then step-by-step step, add longer-term bonds, and then junk bonds, and then emerging market stocks, all those things I talk about. There's a bunch of things as the opportunities unfold. But you can also take some of your money, 10 or 20%, let's say, and actually bet on the market going down. You could buy like a an ETF, you know, the, you know, an inverse fund on the S&P 500 or better, the tech stocks, the, you know, the QQQs, the NASDAQ or the small cap stocks that go down even more and say, hey, I'm going to take 10 or 20% non-leverage, short these stocks, and I'm going to make money when it goes down. And as we say in the book, bubbles burst twice as fast as they build. So you make more money in the same amount of time. But, you, but, it, but it's also very volatile. So, so don't do that on leverage and don't do that with, with, with 
more money than you can stand and sleep at night. And I, I like just basically being safe, sleeping well at night, and waiting for these opportunities because you're fresh and you're objective, you're comfortable, you're not scared to death like most people. You're sitting and waiting for the market to come to you and say, hey, buy me now at 20 cents on the dollar because I think the stock market's going to be down at least 80% before this is over. I think real estate's going to be down 50 to 60% and, of course, more in bubbly areas. And I think bonds, you know, are going to be down 40%. And, and so, so all these opportunities are going to come and you just wait for them to come to you while you're sleeping well at night and you've taken your money out at the top. You've protected your capital. That's, that's my number one strategy. Protect what you have now and, and admit and realize you didn't deserve whatever this you didn't do your house doesn't deserve to be worth as much as it is in most areas your stocks don't be deserved to be worth what worth what they are with the fundamental trends being so adverse for the economy for a long time ahead so take your gains thank god you got this and just protect it and and, and the safer it is i mean i mean you right now people are losing money on 10-year treasury bonds because yields are going up because they pushed them down so far, now they're bouncing back up in reaction. Equal and opposite reactions. That, that's, that is what cycles are. Nothing goes up forever without reversing and setting back. And globalization advanced since 1945, the most in history. And now it's going to retreat. This is what happens to everything on Earth. Cycles. There's no way to escape cycles. Nothing goes up forever. And everything has to go up and then correct. And, and it's in those corrections in difficult times where we get that challenge I was talking about and where we then get the greatest innovations. And we really need some big innovations in the next decade or so because demographics are going to work against especially the developed world, countries like ours, and much worse for Europe and Asia, and East Asia, I mean. They're going to work against us unless we come up with some big innovations. And we're not going to come up with them when, when we're in a free, market, a free money economy and everybody's like, you know, high on yeah, yeah, for sure. Harry, uh, I want to tell you, first of all, congratulations, and I, I, I really mean this, on this book, okay? Uh, big, big, big congratulations on this work, man. Your work is uh, superb. When I finished this book, I mean, I, I really did. I shook my head and said, man, he has, he, he really figured this out. I mean, I, I was really impressed, truly impressed. And I was anxious to bring this to folks today. Quite frankly, I think this is one of the most intriguing uh, interviews uh, we've done to date ever and uh, I think you you that's why I let you do most of the talking because I wanted folks to um, really uh, be able to pick your brain a little bit and uh, and uh, get get some of this insight you put in here I highly highly suggest and recommend that everybody go get the book I'm going to put the links to the book and everything right on uh, America Out Loud. Harry also says that they have a, a deal over there with their newsletter, Economy and Markets, that you just, they'll actually send the book to you free, I believe, and you just pay for the shipping, I guess, and uh, if you, you just sign up for the newsletter and all. Is that the way that works, Harry? Yes, we have a free daily newsletter. You can sign up by just putting your, um, at harrydent.com, you just put in your your web, your um, email address, mm-hmm. and then uh, for four ninety five, which just covers 
the shipping, we'll send you uh, the sale of a lifetime for free. Fantastic. I mean, I can't believe you do that, but that's that's like really, truly amazing. Um, HarryDent.com is the website. Again, all the links will be directly on uh, America Out Loud, friends. Now, if you hear this on talk radio, I know you're going to want to hear this again because we, we covered a lot of ground here in this information. The show is live at AmericaOutloud.com, friends, and it's also going to be available uh, for infinity forward because we will put it in our podcast network, which is doing tremendous. We get millions of hits in the podcast network at America Out Loud. So look for that. You can catch us on TuneIn, AHA Radio, Radio God FM, all the different pieces. You'll find us there. We'll have Harry back again to cover more ground with him. But again, the sale of a lifetime, Harry S. Dent Jr. and Harry... A big, big thank you for taking the time this afternoon, brother, and really covering all the bases with us, okay? Okay, thank you, Malcolm. All right, and folks, again, check it out, please. The Sale of a Lifetime. I'm excited in what Harry's done here in his work. I'm also a little nervous. I have to be in full disclosure with you all about what's going to happen ahead to all of us here. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for everybody. As Harry kind of spelled out a moment ago, he was concerned, and he doesn't want to see people lose. He said that just moments ago. He said, I don't want to see people lose. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's going to be a lot of wealth lost. But the, the, the real deal here that we're talking about today is there'll be a lot of wealth uh, won as well. And uh, people will be able to really, but you're going to have to hunker down. He says that back in. By the way, more toward the end of the book, he does these cool little capsules, these boxes, sale of a lifetime opportunity alert, where he gets into specifics of what you need to know or do. So I'll tell you, it's 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 an impressive uh, piece. It's it's an impressive book, folks. Um, I, I think we're on to a new day here, my friends, uh, in relation to the election, everything that's happened. Um, we're, we're suffering with the result of uh, what our politicians have done, but I got to tell you right now, uh, we're in an interesting moment of life. I, I, I think we can uh, get there, though, if we just hunker down and we pay attention to some of the things Harry spells out in the sale of a lifetime. I think it's going to be very fascinating ahead. Going to be a tough couple of years. Uh, I'm not going to kid you there, but like Harry said a minute ago, which was really cool, it's going to get real exciting just after that. I mean, real exciting. You got AI technology coming out, all the innovation of what's going to happen in the robotic world. All this stuff with his, again, 45-year innovation cycle, all this stuff is going to explode. And we are going to live longer. Uh, that gives me a chance. And, and hopefully some of us cats, like my age and Harry's age, will also have a chance to uh, capsule some of that. We hope to have some of that so we can hang around here and drive you all crazy in the process here. Thanks for joining us today. 